but it's far enough that it's sort of a boring trip if you drive. And uh, it sure helped to get on the plane. And I actually got to witness to a guy, and that's what, that's, that's what it's about, right? Sit next to him, and none of them jump out or haven't yet so far. And so you just kind of sit there and you share the gospel. And, and it's easy for me because God's done a, a work in my life that, that is so powerful. And I got to tell somebody, amen? We can't keep it inside. It's real. It's life. It's eternal. It's we've got to tell people. Okay, I want you to go to your Bibles. I'm going to share just a little bit of scripture here. We're going to do Q and A at the end. I'll kind of give you the outline here. We're going to start out with a little challenge from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and then we're going to go talk about uh, where the Amish come from and uh, what they believe takes them to heaven. Then we're going to switch from there into my testimony and share a little bit how God saved my wife and I and how he led us into ministry back in 1999 and then we're going to talk about the ministries, and we're going to bring Andy up here, and so you'll kind of get the whole picture of the whole whole thing here. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And this is what I want to... This is, Brian, this is right down your alley. Did you realize that one man can lead a whole generation, a whole group of people, in this case... Uh, I'm going to talk about Joseph Smith and Charles Russell and people like, is it Herbert Armstrong and, and William, is it Branham? Uh, huh? Branham. One man can lead millions straight to the lake of fire. One man. And, and, and that's what I want to talk about just briefly here. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, look at verse number 9. God says here in verse 9, Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a what? He's a jealous God. He doesn't want us to worship to anybody or anything else but Him. It's all about God. That's why He created us in the first place, is because He wanted to be worshipped. And He seeks and desires a relationship with us. Now, it says that He is, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity or the sins of the fathers upon the children into the third and the fourth generation of those who don't follow me or or hate me. For three to four generations, God says, I will visit the iniquities of your fathers if you turn from me. Your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are going to suffer as a result of you turning away from me. Because I'm jealous and I want you to serve me and I want you to serve me alone. I want you to raise my name above all other names. I want you to bow to me and give your heart to me. I alone want to be the first thing that comes to your mind when you wake up and the last thing that comes to your mind before you fall asleep. And I tell you what, I try. It takes a little bit of work. But I will tell you, if you work on it a little bit, you can wake up even in the middle of the night and the first thing that comes to your mind is my Savior, my God. And I just want him more. Now, Second Kings chapter 17. Go there real quick. Just kind of hold your finger right there in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I have to watch myself. I can preach really 
get into this preaching mode, and I know I'm here to present the ministry, but 2 Kings chapter 17. Look what happened here. 2 Kings 17. Wait until everybody gets there. The scripture says here, in verse 41, 2 Kings 17, 41, So these nations feared the Lord. So far, so good. They feared the Lord and also, that wasn't all, but they served also graven images. Now look what it says here. Both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers, so do they unto this day. It's just an example of exactly what the Lord had said. Now, for almost ten generations, my forefathers served an idol called religion. And eventually, in 1985, the Lord opened my heart and I saw the truth and I turned and I changed a whole generation that now serves God. And we won't go there, but in... it, Well, yeah, if you're in Deuteronomy chapter 5, look at verse 10. It says, uh, you know, even though I'm going to uh, really come down upon thir- three and four generations, but if you serve me, verse 10, I will show mercy unto thousands of them that love and keep my commandments. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, it says that I will... I will bless them for thousands of generations, those who serve me. So, I tell you, you won't go wrong if you serve the Lord. Your children will follow, and it is by the grace of God. If Now, Joseph Smith, 10 million members now, just a little over, or just about 200 years old, religion in 160 nations, over 10 million members, Charles Russell, started in the 1700s, was a small group, now claims 6 million followers. And the Amish kind of started out the same way. One man. You know what it was over? Just simple stuff. He couldn't get along. Jacob Amon couldn't get along with the rest of the leadership. And two of them became rivals. And by the way, they were Mennonite. Jacob Amon was 30 years old. And he came into leadership, and it wasn't very long because uh, that, before he disagreed with things like communion and foot washing and excommunication and shunning and some other things. And through all of that, Jacob Amon went to the Mennonite leadership and he excommunicated them. He took it upon himself and he said, I'm going to turn you over to Satan and when I turn you over to Satan, I'm going to shun you. Well, guess what the Mennonite leadership did? They turned on Jacob Amon and his following and they did the same thing to him. (laughs) And some years went by and according to history, Jacob Amon got a little smarter like we all do after we get a little bit more, a little older and so forth. So he came back to the Mennonite church and in order to show him, that he was repenting, he said, I will excommunicate myself. He literally said, I'll turn myself over to Satan and show repentance. Hopefully, the Mennonite church would take him back, but they never took him back because Jacob Amon would not put everything away the way the Mennonite church wanted him to. So, in the early 1700s, the very first Amish people came across in the adventure and they actually landed right here. You know, right in this area. We were talking about that. And for many years, uh, Lancaster was like the largest Amish community of Amish anywhere. Right now, it's Ohio, uh, Holmes and Wayne County. There are many Amish people. They vary in denominations. Uh, there's the New Order and the Old Order and the Old, Old Order and the No Order and the, and a whole lot of other, other orders and some fellowship with each other and some don't. Uh, I come from an old order background and we would never have been allowed to go and marry into the new order or, or to the Beachy Church or to the Toke Church or the Schwarzenegger Church. We, were, we had our own little group and we were only allowed to intermarry with one another. Therefore, there's a lot of 
sickness and diseases coming into the Amish communities, particularly up in the Ohio area because of that. Now, although there's lots of different denominations, they have one thing in common. They follow a very detailed system of belief. They all follow what they call an ordinance letter. And this ordinance letter talks about all the do's and the don'ts, and this is permissible and this is not, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But right now, I want to talk about if you were to go and ask an Amishman, how does an Amishman get to heaven? If he is uh, real with you, he will tell you, well, it's the, the plan of salvation has five ingredients. And in order to go to heaven... You have to follow all five. And the first one is, I'm going to give them to you right now, the first one is parental obedience. Parental obedience is the top ingredient above Christ, above everything else, and I'll tell you why. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey father and mother. This is the which command? Does anybody know? The first command. Now, it says, it follows with, a promise, but they don't see that. You see how religion oftentimes comes up with their own little uh, rule, and then they'll go to Scripture, and they'll pull something out of Scripture that will back up what they want to believe. And that's exactly what's happening here. They believe parental obedience is the number one ingredient. It's the, it's the first commandment. And if you overstep that commandment, you can't serve God without coming back and obeying your parents, not until your mom and dad die, but until you die. Only then are you relieved from that. That's the first one. Number two is baptism. They believe, and I will tell you the story, it's a personal story, when I was 17 years old in my community, all 17-year-olds began the process of becoming a member of, of the local church. And what that meant is that for six months, you kind of went through this training period, and, and they would teach you the importance of, of uh, being Amish and dying Amish and becoming a member of the Amish and Amish, Amish, and Amish, and all that. And, and so... If you pass the test, if your clothes were all in within the rules and guidelines and your bucky and your horse and your harness and your all of that was all the way they wanted it to be, then they had a baptismal day. And on baptismal day, they would bring all these 17-year-olds up there, and I was one of them. And, and at the end of the service, now I should back up a little bit because the day before on Saturday... We all got together with the preachers, and the preachers said, Now, tomorrow, during baptismal service, we're going to do this, and when we do this, you're going to say that. And when we do that, you're going to do this. And so it was all very mechanical. You see this? And so we all get together the next day on Sunday, and we come forward, and we kneel down on our knees, and one preacher comes over, and he pours some water on your head three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I was told by my own mother, who I believed of all people, was knew what she was talking about. She said, Joe, today you're going to be baptized and all your sins are going to be washed away. You know, as a 17-year-old boy, I was as sincere as I could have been. I thought I remember walking out from uh, from that barn. It was in the summertime, and we had the services up in the barn. And I walked. I was walking down the hill, and I thought to myself, "I feel like a brand new baby. My sins are all forgiven, because my mom said so, and the preacher said so." And I was sincere, but I was sincerely wrong. Baptism is ingredient number two. Number three, uh, do they believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, they do. And remember, the Philippian jailer came to, uh, was it uh, Paul and Silas, and he said, what do I have to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And he got his answer. Paul said, believe. 
That's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, I was talking to an Amish lady the other day. And she said, and you know what? It doesn't say anything in there about your haircut being a certain length or a cut a certain way. And, and I said, you're right. It's simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that with your heart, you shall be saved. So, do the Amish believe in the death, burial, and resurrection? Yes, they do. They believe in all of that. Why aren't they saved then? Well, there's a couple couple uh, directions I could take here, but the one thing that keeps coming to my mind is that I believed all of that for 18 years and didn't realize that it, there was a difference between believing in your head and believing in your heart. And the day that I received Christ into my life, I realized there's a difference in how you believe in Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, and I won't spend much time here, but I think this really brings it out. When I began to date my girlfriend, Esther, I did that because I wanted to know her better. And as the months went by, we got to know each other better and better and better. But if that's all I ever did, if, if, if I never had a wedding day, then the two of us still wouldn't have been one. But there came a day when I said, you know what, Esther, I think you're the one for me. And today, I will say I do, and she said she does. And the two of us, according to Scripture, became one. And that's what we did as Amish people. We went to church. We heard about Jesus. We heard, knew all about him. And every time I went, I got to know him better and better and better. And a lot of them are still dating Jesus. They have never become one. And that is how it works. Very mechanical. John chapter 12. Don't have to turn there. But it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. Sounds good so far. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogues, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Ingredient number four, membership in the Amish church. If you are Amish, if you were born Amish, then you're just going to have to live and die Amish. Although I didn't have any choice when they slapped those plain clothes on me, I was now caught in the system, and if I didn't die in the system, I would go to hell. And they would say, well, when you ask them about other people like you people, the outside people, what about the English people? What about the, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons and the, the Baptists and, you know, they put them all in, you know, how, how do they get to heaven? How come they don't have to be zombies? And this was the best answer they could give me is, well... It's kind of like this. We're all coming up different sides of the mountain. And everybody, as long as they follow the first command, even the Jehovah Witnesses, my dad said, if they obey their mother and their father, and they do the best that they can, they're just coming up a different side of the mountain. And at the top, we all come together. And if we've been pretty good, God will probably let us in. But nobody knows that until the day we die. And we stand in front of God, and we're placed on this balancing scale, and if the good outweighs the bad, we're in. And I said one day, I said to my dad, where does the grace of God come in? And he says, well, as I see it, he says, the grace of God comes in when you stand in front of God and you're placed on this balancing scale, and it looks like the bad is just going to outweigh the good a little bit more, you know. Then God's going to put his foot on, and that's the grace of God, and he's going to let you in. Number five. The fifth ingredient is probably one of the toughest ones, too, is submission to this ordinance letter that I've talked to you about. It's a very detailed letter. In my community, it was 22 pages long. It was all written by hand, and twice a year we had church service all day long to cover this ordinance letter. And if new issues came up, such as the law now requires us to wear hunter's orange, and we don't want to wear this orange on us, so we're going to have to make it a rule that nobody wears orange to go deer hunting. And so over the years, this ordinance letter gets bigger and bigger, just like the hat over there on the corner. That ordinance letter is very spelled out. The, the band that goes around is one inch. 
the brim that goes around the outside changes depending on what age you are, whether you're a member of the church, whether you're a preacher. Now, if, you're, if you see a guy and he's got like a big umbrella, you know it's a preacher. They got five-inch brims. And I'm like, yeah, anyways, the ordinance letter is very detailed, very specifically called out. And I just want to read a letter. We get many of these letters, but this is this is a young lady that left the Amish with her husband, and they have four children. And when they left, they left because of the right reason. They had gotten saved, and the the Lori is her name. Her mom writes her a letter, and I just want to read just a little bit. It's this purple part, so a little bit here. It says. Now, 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 just listen to this. This is coming from the Amish mother. Dear Lori, she writes, Oh, we so much love to have your children. It hurts so deep in our hearts to hear what you're doing. Just think what you're doing. Just think, and she's got this underline, to put that electricity in the house. Oh, I'd be afraid to have such in my house. Really, I would be afraid to have it. What would God say? Do you realize how much that, mm, what would God say? Now, yesterday I felt like I was saved, but all of a sudden I, I'm thinking, okay, now i got this electricity in here. Maybe mom's right. You, you have to understand, when, when, when you come out of eight and ten generations of religion, these kinds of thoughts are just heart-wrenching. It took me years to get through this. The parents. Our grandparents, none were taught that way. But we were taught it's sinful to leave the faith. We were taught, and, and that's, it's, well, English isn't always the best there. We're taught, and that it is not right to God's way to be different. Lori, you can't drive a van or anything like that. No, you can't. You can't. Do not let that Satan let you do it. You can't feel happy and free if you do it. Oh, please don't do it. It makes me cry. I hope I can do my crying here on earth, but afraid you're going to have yours later. Don't hope we ever have to see you in different clothes than your Amish clothes. And then she says, Oh, Lori, you can't feel free and happy. And at that, you make other people unhappy too. And then she ends with this sentence. Talk about sincere, but sincerely wrong. We are fasting and praying for you hoping that you can see it before it's too late and repent. My dad didn't eat for 30 days when I left the Amish. For 30 days, he did not eat one drop. I, I didn't know anybody could go that long without eating, and I was scared. I was afraid that he would literally die from not eating. But he was so sure that I was going to hell, and even after 20 years, I have not seen all of my family. Because when you leave, you're cut off. And they will shun you. Never been to any weddings. My grandma died two years ago, and I got word immediately, don't come to the funeral because you're not welcome. Now, sometimes you're allowed to go if you wear your Amish clothes. But in my case, my dad is, even after 20 years, I'm still getting, I just got a letter from my mom, which is, if not, probably the second or third letter in 20 years. I just got a letter on February 1st. I had a birthday, and she sent me a card. And she said, I'm so glad that uh, the rest of the children have never went astray. And, and, and you know, this whole thing of, of not being able to go to heaven because of what I'm doing. Okay, the ordinance letter. I'll just briefly touch on this. The ordinance letter is very detailed, and it governs all areas of life. Now, Matthew chapter 16, you will remember this scripture. When Jesus came to Peter, if you want to turn there, you can. Matthew 16, we'll, we'll take a look at this. This is, this is uh, where Jesus began the church, or he talked about the church for the first time. And, and he called a meeting. He got his disciples together, and, and that day he, he talked about building, building his church, which I just, love to read and have been studying that and writing in the Amish voice about that for about uh, six months now. But Matthew 16, look at verse 18. 
He says, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he says, Jesus says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what's he saying there? This is literally what the Amish, how they interpret this. If I write a rule in my ordinance letter, it becomes scripture. Because what we write on earth is bound where? In heaven. Now, I will tell you, I know this from going all over in, uh, the country to di- and visiting different Amish communities that you could literally pull the Word of God right out from underneath the church and the church would keep right on going and never even miss a lick because it's not built on the Word of God. And I thought Andy and, and Jody and I were down there looking at a gift shop and it, uh, and it showed this Amish guy cut out of a piece of wood and he had a Bible under his, his hand. And we said, now what in the world's wrong with that? They, they don't carry their Bibles anywhere. You're not allowed any Bible studies. You're not allowed any prayer meetings. We did have family Bible studies at home, but again, it was out of the German. We were not allowed any English Bible at home. And uh, so, being that it was in German, it was not even close to how we spoke, which was uh, is Dutch. Dutch is, by the way, just a spoken language. It's not a written language. And if they ever stop speaking Dutch, it'll just kind of go to nothing. So you have English, English language you learn by going to school for eight years and you learn how to read, write, and speak in English. It becomes your second, and the third one is your German. And uh, so anyways, uh, you could pull this out right from underneath the church and it would continue to stand. But if you left it in there and you pulled the ordinance letter out, it would crumble. It is the ordinance letter that has held the Amish culture together for 270 years. It's the Amish, it's, it's the ordinance letter. Very mechanical. Somebody said, we did a whole hour interview on how could the Amish forgive the guy. And by the way, did you, i got to tell you this. Andy is a co-worker to the milkman that shot the little girls. And he's now a missionary under the MAP ministry in the Lancaster area. But how could the Amish forgive this man so quickly and easy? And I will tell you, it's just as mechanical as the rest of the religion. It's very mechanical. I don't have a choice. What else would I do but to forgive? And, and so you do that. But then all these former Amish started crying out, Well, how come I don't feel forgiven? I'm not, you know, now anyway. Education is controlled on an academical level and a spiritual level. The church controls the lifestyle, like the uniformity and the dress code. Shopping at Walmart, for instance. You're allowed to go to Walmart, but did you realize that just there's maybe 5 to 10% of what you can buy at Walmart? Well, i got a little bit of stuff on that. I won't show you that one. <laughs> You guys have, oh, I got to tell you a story. We were out here, friend, and this shopping cart starts rolling all the way from the other end. And it kept coming. Andy, Geese, and Jody and I were talking. We said, look at that shopping cart way down there. And it kept rolling. And finally, both of us had to leave it. kept rolling right at us. <laughs> Anyways, try this one. Yeah, this is better. Take the shoe, for instance. There's only a few shoes that you could buy at Walmart. You look at the rack. Now, here's what has to be true about your shoe. It has to be high top, first of all. It has to have uh, strings. Uh, the sole has to have a cut. It can't be flat. And, of course, it has to be black. And, of course, it has to be leather. And all of this is spelled out on the ordinance letter. And so when you go into Walmart... You are very limited as to what you can uh, what you can uh, use or buy. Church controlled family life, church controlled leadership, and church service, and all of this is very very controlled. And I won't go into that a whole lot because I wanted to tell you 
a little bit about my testimony in about three minutes here. When I was 15 years old, I heard the gospel for the very, very first time. 15 years old. It was through another Amishman in the community that had come to Christ from an outside person. And he had really, truly gotten saved. So he was excited and he just went all over the community. And, and I remember he drove this white horse and so he stood out when he went up and down the road. You knew Paul Copeland was out witnessing to Amish people. Very quickly was cast out of the church because of his new belief. And from the time I was 15 all the way to the time I was 18, Paul uh, kept coming to me and sharing the gospel. Of course, by this time, he had been kicked completely out of the Amish community. He was now driving a car. He was living in Kentucky. And during my 18th birthday is when Paul shared the gospel with me one more time on July 28, 1985. And that day, I, I, I looked at Paul and I said, Paul... Are you telling me that Uncle Albert, who is a preacher in the Amish church, are you telling me Uncle Albert is going to hell? You know what he did? This is all the Holy Spirit. He turned to Romans chapter 3, and he looked at verse number 23, and it says, says right here, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, even Uncle Albert. And that's what just caught me off guard. And I realized that I was a sinner. And that all these years I had thought that, uh, knowing that I was a sinner, but I thought I was a good one. You know what I'm saying? I thought I was a good sinner. I mean, I mean, who could do better than I? God knows I'm trying. And, but this day I saw myself as a sinner separated from Almighty God. And that was when I accepted Christ into my heart. And went to my girlfriend and led her to Christ and... Uh, anyways, so in, we eventually left the Amish. It was not easy. We came out here. We didn't have any, we didn't have any driver's license. We didn't have any jobs. We did not have social security numbers. I had no clue what to do in this new culture. It was brand new. And 20 years ago, very few were leaving. But we came out here and we fell into the hands of a couple who was going to a Baptist church up the road. And they would be the ones that would lead us to that church. We'd become members of that church. And that was 20 years ago. We're still members there. Same pastor, same everything. And eventually in 1999, God called me out of Tool and Die and let me into this ministry and... Now, seven years into this ministry, last year, through churches and individuals, God brought over $160,000 through this ministry. It just amazes me what God is doing. And I'd like for Andy to come up here, because Andy is a big part of this ministry. He is our first missionary. We do have a a structure. We're 501c3. We have a... Uh, board that governs this ministry. About you can just come on up. I'll, I'll be quiet once you get there. We have about 15 people, couples that govern this board, and they just last year uh, approved Jody and and Andy um, as a part of our ministry, and they're out of Lancaster. And uh, please share what's on your heart. Well, thank you, Joe. Good, Amaya. This in Fadosai, in the heart language of the Amish people, this means good morning. We are happy to be here. And um, as Joe said, my name is Andy. That's short for Andrew. My wife Jody Ann is in the back, and we also have a 14-year-old daughter that uh, is with her grandparents this weekend. Um, we live in the Elverson area. Is there anyone here knows where the Elverson is? Elverson, Morgantown, uh, Honeybrook area? That's where we call home. That's where my wife was born and raised. She came from, uh, her father was one of 16 children. And so she's used to a large family, uh, many uncles, many cousins, and so forth. And uh, my grandparents, 
they came from, when they got married and started to raise their family, they were in the plain culture also, and they left the plain church and became members of a Mennonite church and so forth. And later on in years, my father left the Mennonite church and became a member of a Baptist church. And then my parents went to a little island in the Caribbean as missionaries in 1976. And that's where I grew up on the streets of Trinidad, ministering to Hindus and Muslims and Catholic people. And I grew up there most of my teen years and so forth. And then I came back home and met Jody. And we've been married now for 21 years. And I've been married... uh uh, wearing a wedding band now for 21 years, and I couldn't get it off, Joe, even if I wanted to. So, um, just wanted to share a little bit of our background with you. I, I came to Christ uh, as a teenager of 14 years old. Yeah, I was serving on, on the missionary field before that, but it was religion for me because I did not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I drove a truck for many years. We owned our own uh, tractor-trailer business, had trucks running coast-to-coast in America, and began to pray about where would God have us to serve as a family, serving together, not me sitting in the truck somewhere and my wife somewhere. So we began to pray about this. And where would God have us to serve? And with my upbringing, I I took a trip to Romania uh, in 2000, January of 2000, came back from Romania and I told Jody Ann, I said, that's where God is going to have us to go. There's a great need in Romania for missionaries to come and to share the gospel of Christ with people. And Jody says, I'm sure there's a great need in Romania, but I don't feel that we have to go out of the country to reach people with the gospel of Christ. There's so many people here in America that need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. This is a missionary field right here. But I kept thinking, no, it's Romania. She kept thinking, no, it's home. No, Romania, no home missions. And there was a conflict there. And we began to pray and to look around and to get counsel from our my pastor and our pastor and and so forth. And as we were deeply involved in the ministry of our local church there at Wybrook in Elverson, Pennsylvania, what happened is, is God began to show me that we were already involved in ministry here. I drove a milk truck, and we'd go in and out of our Amish farms and get to know our farmers. And I, I began to ask questions like, to you, who is Jesus Christ? If you died right now, where would you go? Do you believe in heaven or hell? Simple questions. And I would get the answer back, well, I hope so. I hope I'd go to heaven. One of my farmers, his name is Gideon. And I said, Gideon, if you died right now, where would you go? Heaven or hell? He said, well, I hope I'd I'd go to heaven. I said, well, Gideon, don't you know? He said, well, I hope so. I hope I'd get to heaven. I said, Gideon, how does a person get to heaven? Gideon said, well, you got to be a, a church member. I said, well, I'm a church member. He said, well, that's good. I said, but Gideon, how does a person get to go to heaven? He said, well, you got to be a church member. you got to obey your parents. I said, Gideon, that's good. you got to be a church member, obey your parents. But how do you get to heaven? Gideon said, well, you got to be a church member, obey your parents, and you got to obey all the church rules. you got to be baptized. And I asked this question over and over and over until he went through like ten different answers. And they all revolved around good works. And in the end, Gideon said, you got to have something more than yourself. you got to have Jesus. Now, that's where most people would stop. Most people would hear that Gideon needs Jesus and he believes in Jesus and he'd stop right there and go no further. I I went further. I said, Gideon, and I listed all these things that he said and then I mentioned Jesus. I said, but Gideon, how is that going to get you to heaven? He said, well, when I die and I stand before God, if I've been good enough, if I've done all these things, if I've honored my parents, if I've followed the rules of the church, if I've raised my family in the manner that I was raised, when I stand before God, if I haven't been good enough, 
God will give me the grace, I hope, to finish the trip. We've been praying for Gideon now for quite a few years. And I'd ask you to pray for him also. He has not yet received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. But due to that situation, that conversation, and many others, we begin to pray about, Lord, is this the missionary field? He, and I did not get a clear answer on that. But we began to minister anyway, and we began to search and to look around, and we come, we, we come out of a missionary Baptist church, began to search in the missionary Baptist churches for missionaries serving the Amish. I couldn't find one single one. None. We were sending missionaries all over the world to reach people, but no one was reaching the Amish with the gospel of Christ. Called churches all over? No one. Oh, the Amish are good people. If anyone's getting to heaven, it's the it's the Amish people. And so I did what the only thing I could do. I went on the internet and did an internet search. The internet's good for some things, isn't it, Brother Joe? About four years ago, I came across the Mission to Amish People website. We had already been working and building relationships within the Amish community, already sharing Christ and witnessing to people. And that's how you reach Amish people with the gospel of Christ. It's through personal evangelism. It's through sharing it and letting them know that you care. The Amish are like anyone else. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when they can see that you care for them, that you're going to be there, that you're consistent in what you're saying and in how you're living, they're open to, to listening. And I learned a long time ago that if we want to reach Amish people, we need to go where Amish people are. When we see baked goods, we go to the Amish and we buy baked goods. When we, when we see roadside uh, stands, we go there and shop on purpose so we can build relationships with them. And then I learned that when Amish people are ill, when, Amish, when, when tragedy hits, it's an open door for us. Because we can bake a pie. Jody bakes some mean pies. And, and we take pies to the Amish people. And, and they're really stunned by that because they're known for making pies. But here comes people from the outside and we come into the Amish and we're, we're coming in with a pie and, and, and we're just local people. We're just, we just love and care for you. We, we're here. We want to help. And we build relationships with them. Got to know Joe Kime and the Mission to Amish people over the last four years. And last June, we officially brought our ministry under the leadership of Mission to Amish people. And, and the ministry here in Lancaster County has just skyrocketed. Last year alone, we saw 47 families give their hearts and lives to Christ Jesus and leave the Amish church. There is revival taking place in the Amish culture. There are some 250,000 Amish people living in 20 plus states and in the providence of Ontario, Canada. Not all are the same, but they basically all live underneath of this ordinance letter that Brother Joe grew up under. And they live in bondage. And there's levels of that bondage. And even after someone comes to Christ, you still have to go through discipleship training and teaching and loving and caring so that people can begin to peel off the layers. Brother Joe shared with us about 21 years before he put a wedding band on. Something simple. We know folks that are really stuck in bondage. This is God's ministry. This isn't our ministry. This is God's ministry. I figure there's another 40 families that we're working with right now in the Lancaster County area. Some know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are committed to staying Amish. There's others that are open and we're building relationships with them. Keep us in your prayers. My wife Jody and our daughter Jenny as we minister to the Amish. It was a great tragedy because I knew Carl Roberts. He was a, a person that I worked with. Through that tragedy, there have been many souls come to Christ. Through that tragedy, soul, people are opening up to, uh, is this good enough to get me to heaven? Or is there something more? 
It's caused some people to draw backwards, but it's caused others to look and to ask questions. Some good has come from this tragedy on both sides. Please keep the families in the nickel mines in your prayers. We, we're close to families on both sides, from the milk end, uh, the milk company, and uh, former Amish people, and in the Amish culture itself. I just want to thank you for giving us the time to come this morning and to share with you our burden for ministering and caring for the Amish people. Thank you so much, Brother Joe. We have time for maybe several questions, Q&A for, for Joe, and if Andy wants to come up and, and field these also. And um, they'll stick around. I'm sure you have a lot of questions. They'll be here to answer them. So does anybody have a question? Dave. How does the Amish denominations communicate with one another? How do the Amish communi- communities communicate with one another? Um, they uh, have telewoman and teleman instead of television. No, they actually uh, have a way of, they have their own papers. You know, one's called the budget, and they all uh, write in that budget uh, from different communities and churches and, and so forth, and that's kind of how they know what's going on. Uh, boy, there, there's such a difference between them. Yeah, you have even the Beachy Amish drive black cars now, uh, and then your Schwarzenegger Amish, uh, they are still stuck on one buggy lander, not going to two because it looks too worldly because you have two uh, red lights from the back. And, and so, it, it, and, and there's, there's probably 20 different denominations in between there. So, yeah. Right there, then. Are the BG Amish born again? Yeah, I I think a lot of them are. Although they would believe that there's still something that I, I, they I, they're closer. Put it that way. They would never allow me to come in and share. Uh, yes. The first question was when how was I when my dad explained grace and I would say it was probably right around the time I got baptized because that was the time of my life when I began to question is, is are the Amish really the true uh, the closest to God. The second question is, how does our ministry help those who are leaving the Amish transition into another culture? And we have helped hundreds and hundreds. Actually, we've helped over 10,000 Amish, uh, not only spiritually, but physically help them transition. And it is something that takes three solid years to help them wake up and kind of feel like they've become a part of the, the, the culture. I mean, just the, just going from thinking in Dutch to thinking in, in English is a process. And, and waking up one day and having light switches and, and, and all the stuff that, that comes with this culture, it, it's a big transition for them. And they go through all kinds of mental and emotional anguish. Uh, we try to help them go and further their education by getting GEDs. We have short-term housing. We have... Uh, we help them get their driver's licenses and jobs, and they come from everywhere, even from Canada, and they settle there in our area. There's uh, houses. There's between five and ten young people living in one home, and they'll sleep on the floors and whatever they have to until they can get on their own feet. Uh, do one sect of the Amish and the other sect believe that one, is, one or the other is not going to have any? Do they are? 
Yeah, that's a good question. How how does one Amish sect believe about another? And it simply it boils down to they're just all coming up different sides of the mountain. You know, as long as that sect does what they were taught, there's a, they've just as good of a hope as we do. Yeah, another question. How did the Amish get here from Europe? The, uh, from what I can understand, they just simply... Uh, realized that this was the free world, just like most other ones who traveled across the seas. They wanted to be free to worship God the way they wanted to, and therefore they got on the ship and came across and, and settled here in the States. Are they still coming? No. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of them migrated over from Switzerland in 1690 to early 1700s. And uh, today we've kind of lost track of the Dutch in Switzerland. Although, I was a couple years ago coming down the Sears Tower elevator and I heard these two young people speaking in Dutch. I thought, that's almost what I speak like. And I couldn't help but listen. And when we got down to the bottom, I, I, I went over. I said, where are you boys from? And here they were from Switzerland. But our language had changed so much over 300 years that it was easier for us to speak in English. And so we don't have any connections with Switzerland at all, although someday my hopes are to go and visit Switzerland. There's a part of me that wants to go there. Uh, yes. Uh, it all boils down to probably Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to the world. And anything that is big among the world is should not have any part in the Amish life. Electricity, for instance, um, you know, or, or the car. Uh, I, I had a guy tell me the other day, he said, uh, he said, well, he said, I consider driving a car like taking a hold of the devil's horns. And I wouldn't want to do that. You know, that, that was his thought of the world. How could you? But yet they'll crawl in and, and use them for taxis and all of that. And, and so it's the world. And we want to be as separated from the world as possible. And there was, yeah, him. Yeah, I know you often see the signs up in that country about the gospel verses or scripture verses. But I never have run into any Amish actively trying to convert or witnessing to anybody. Do they do that? And has anybody converted into the Amish from outside? Do the Amish reach out and evangelize? And this is how they do that. By their clothes, the outside world can see that we're Christians. Uh, they do have people that convert from English culture to uh, Amish. But from the ones that I know, they will convert for maybe 5 to 20 years, but eventually they'll leave. And a lot of times when they do come to the Amish, they'll, if they're young enough, they'll get married, and then they'll leave their wives and their children and go back out to the English culture. I've seen that happen so many times. Matter of fact, almost 90% of the time that happens. Uh, there was another hand, I th yeah, right here, and there's actually three hands here. Uh, how do they receive someone outside of their church membership or their culture? Uh, you know, how open are they? And that's the problem right there. They're very closed. They don't want you taking pictures. They don't want you taking video. They don't talk about what happens inside. There's been murders and all kinds of molesting and things like that that have happened inside their circle. And they will do whatever they can to keep that from leaking out. Now, they don't have any uh, prisons or anything like that. And so there's not a whole lot they can do. But one thing is for certain, as a member, I cannot talk about anything that goes on on the inside. And it's very difficult to reach through there. Now, being from that background, I understand all of that. And so it makes it easier for me, really, to reach in. I hope that answered your question. Now, there was, yeah. question is, what would happen if someone gets saved and stays Amish? 
I have two sisters that are saved. I have no doubt about it. We actually had Bible studies for about three or four months after they got saved. And then it came out in the community that we were having Bible studies and they came in their parents, the bishop, the preachers, and they said, you immediately stop having uh, Bible studies. And, you know, they, they did. And now... Uh, we can hardly go around them anymore because it has to be kept so secretly. They would excommunicate them if it kept going. That's my question. Is would they... So I guess, like you said, they would be torn. Now they know, they know the right way. Yeah. But they still, their family's there. Yes. So would they still do that, like, secretively? Not, not really, no. It's, it, you know, that's why... Paul said, come out from among them and be you separate. Because if you don't, you will eventually go back and become one of them. But I do believe that that my sisters uh, still have a clear plan of salvation. They know they got saved. They just can't talk about it. Yeah. Last question. Okay, uh, what are their Sunday services like? They have church every other Sunday. It normally the service will last from nine o'clock until twelve twelve thirty, and in that time they will sing three songs, and then two preachers will get up and preach. and And you have to remember that these preachers are not there because they're called; they're there because the church cast lots, and it fell on five preachers per district. So when one dies or moves out of the district, they have to cast the lot, and whoever it falls on will be that preacher. He will get up and preach without the Word of God. He will get up and preach without any... matter of fact, he just learned that morning that he would preach. So, for 30 minutes, he has to get up there and preach whatever comes to his mind. He knows very little Scripture. Uh, let me think here. And as a child, sometimes I would sit there, and, and these men, some of them could preach, actually, and some couldn't. And the ones that couldn't would get up, and they would literally stand there, friend, between they have the women out here and the men in the in, in the living room, and they would come to a point to where they didn't have anything to say. And as a six, seven, eight year old boy, I would stand there and I'd say, "Lord, dear God, give the man something to say." <laughs> and then, and and you have to remember this bishop even the bishop is the highest authority. And the big, the highest education he has is an eighth grade education, which compares to a fifth grade education out here. Now you are not allowed to have dictionaries and commentaries. The preacher is not allowed to have any of that. All he has is a German Martin Luther translation that he has. First of all, has to learn now that he's a preacher. He has to learn how to really read it and understand a little bit. You know that he that he will preach from. But it, it's so controlled, and uh, um, so, anyways, that that's how that works. Thank you. Oh, my wife, I have to let Yeah, yeah. You know, this is amazing. I, I I just I do this really quickly, but I didn't touch on the largest ministry that we have is called the Sunlight Club. They're little correspondence, Bible studies. We have 24 courses. And, of course, our aim is to reach the young generation, and we are. We're, we've got, since we started, we've had over 12,000 Amish students. And, and these young girls that were shot and killed were two of the five were in the club. And, a matter of fact, I was, I talked to, Boy, we talked to the bishop and, and the preachers and other lay people, and they said, oh, yeah, my kids are in the Sunlight Club. That was just yesterday. I couldn't believe it. I was like, the bishop even was allowing his kids to be a part of the Sunlight Club. And I can't answer that other than it's a God thing. Now, last year we spent over $50,000 in the Sunlight Club alone. Out of that, all those lessons that we sent out, over 38,000 Bible lessons that we send into 30-some states, Amish homes. And by the way, we've hired two people, and we're hiring a third person to the ministry staff, and we have 10 to 12 volunteers 
that come in and this they, they run this part of the ministry. And last year we had a hundred and fifty three salvations. These were students that wrote us and said, I received Christ because of Yeah. And it is a it is we're we're changing the whole generation and that's where it's going to come out of. It's going and we're seeing revival. I was in Lancaster yesterday and we were talking about we're praying for revival and the guy said, What are you talking about? Revival is here and it is. I mean, Amish, former Amish, it's like this big roll ball is just rolling and nobody can stop it. And it's going to impact the world. I know it will. We hope the world has been a benefit to you. If you would like to donate to the Underground Christian Network, or if you don't have a home church, you can send a donation of any amount to the Underground Christian Network. Just go to the undergroundchristiannetwork.com and click the donation link at the top of the page. That's the underground Christian Network dot com.